Hi folks, this is Mike Young with Noble Warriors coming to you with episode three of the Noble Man podcast. Uh, we are excited to be back with you and looking forward to uh, talking today about sunrise on Good Friday. And um, so let me get started with this by giving you a little bit of my background in history. I uh, grew up in Suffolk, Virginia, and every Easter we went, or most Easters, we went to an Easter sunrise service. There were three churches in our community. It was Hillcrest Baptist Church, Bethlehem Christian Church, and Southside Baptist Church that would meet together for a sunrise service on Easter morning. And then we'd have breakfast, and, and so it was, uh, it was a big deal. It was something that we looked forward to. Um, and then when I went to college, I went to William & Mary in Williamsburg, and it was interesting to me. I was, I was involved with the B, BSU at the time, Baptist Student Union. Now they call it the BCM, Baptist Campus Ministries. But our, our campus minister recognized that uh, students were going to be gone, many of them on Easter. And so in order to celebrate or have folks come together at a particular time around the Easter celebration, he started doing, my freshman year, I remember this, he, he did an, a Good Friday sunrise service. And I, I just remember being surprised at the, all of the information about Good Friday at sunrise. So we did this all four years I was there and involved with, the, with campus ministry. Uh, I remember one year we did it on, in the football stadium. And so we met there on the field at the football stadium for Good Friday sunrise. And I don't remember the specific message, but what I do remember is, again, being being captivated by the idea that sunrise on Good Friday was a big deal as well as sunrise on Easter. And so I held on to that until we started Noble Warriors. And when when we launched Noble Warriors, I remember thinking, wow, it would be really cool to get men together on Good Friday at sunrise. So we started doing this Good Friday sunrise service where we would have men meet together and actually drive spikes into a cross and raise a cross on, on Good Friday morning. Uh, and in doing that, we would talk about the the activities and the events leading up to that morning of the crucifixion. And so what I thought I would do with this podcast is just talk about some of that stuff. Talk through what went on on the the night before Good Friday because sometimes we can lose track of the timeline and the elements of the crucifixion story that take place there in quick succession as you read the Bible. So here's, here's where we'll start. On Thursday evening, um, what's often called Monday Thursday, there was the supper in the upper room. Now remember, this started on Palm Sunday with Jesus coming into Jerusalem on the donkey, the palm branches being laid out. So he's, he's in Jerusalem for multiple days, and there are time, there are time, uh, let's see, what can I call them? There are time triggers or time slots, there are time pointers in the Word that kind of lay out what happened that whole week. As you read all four of the Gospels, you can kind of pick out the sequence of events during Holy Week. And so then, but you get to Thursday evening and the disciples are gathered in the upper room. That's when Jesus washes the disciples' feet. 
that's when Judas is fed by Jesus because Peter said, who is going to betray you? And, and Jesus says, it's the one that I'm, I'm giving this bread to. And so he feeds Judas. And then he says, whatever you're going to do, go and do it quickly. And so Judas leaves. And then you get, if you're reading the Gospel of John, then you get John 16 and 17. Well, 15, 16 and 17, you get um, that whole passage about the, the vine in John 15. And then in John 16, John, Jesus is doing more teaching. Um, in John 17, we get the high priestly prayer. So there is a lot of red letter content in the book of John when you get to the end of the, uh, the Passover meal before you get to the Garden of Gethsemane. because So what happens? Judas leaves, then Jesus is there with the disciples. He's teaching them. He's speaking to them. He's giving some last words to them. He prays over them, the high priestly prayer, John 17. And then they go to the Garden of Gethsemane. Now, at the end of, um, at the, end of the, uh, the portion of John's account... In the upper room, it says, and it was night. So that's John 13, verse 30. The end of that says, and it was night. So it was already evening, late evening, moving to the nighttime at the end of that time in the upper room. And so then they go out into the garden. So it's nighttime. And one of the things that caught my mind in all of this is Jesus did not get a night of rest before his crucifixion. Uh, he's actually getting ready to be up all night, and he's going to be tried overnight. He's going to be um, kind of drug around from one place to the other. There's just a lot of activity in the night, and it's because the 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 leaders of the the temple, the the religious leaders, wanted to do all this under the cover of darkness. Um, they didn't want people to see it. And so that's that's why it was carried out in that way. But all of this took place the overnight. And so Jesus had to be weary. As a matter of fact, in the garden, you'll remember the disciples kept falling asleep. They were weary and tired. It had been a long day. And so then Judas shows up again in the garden. Now, I think it's fascinating. In John 18, we, we see this. Now, Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place for Jesus often met there with his disciples. So uh, here's another picture of the habitual nature of Jesus' prayer time and where he would go to get away and, and connect with the Father. And Judas knew that in a moment of crisis and trial, Jesus was going to go to his place of prayer and he was going to be praying. I think that's fascinating. And so uh, it's not like Jesus went to a different place so that he could hide from Judas. Jesus knew this was going to go down from the beginning. As a matter of fact, I'm going to jump to the Gospel of Luke because there's a there's a verse that I love. Luke 18.31, Jesus is talking to the twelve, and it says this, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. For he will be delivered over to the Gentiles, and will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon and after flogging him they will kill him and on the third day he will rise. I just love the fact that Jesus knew what was going to happen to him and yet he was resolute about going to Jerusalem to face his destiny to complete the work that his father had assigned to him. So they left the upper room, they go to the garden of Gethsemane, Jesus goes to pray, the disciples fall asleep, he goes back to them three times and then um 
and then Judas shows up. We get that whole interaction. And while Jesus is on trial, Peter had said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. And, and he tried. I think he did. Um, Jesus had told him that he would be, that Peter would forsake him. And Peter denied that he would do that. But then there's another element to this that's fascinating to me. Each of the Gospels records that Peter was warming himself by a fire and was there uh, talking to people as Jesus was in the trial. And, you know, the accounts are all a little bit different, but a servant girl and some members of the crowd. So several folks said to Peter, you are one of them. Aren't you one of them? And those are the times when Peter denied this. I, I find it fascinating as I talk with men about various men's ministry strategies that Peter was standing at a fire when he denied Christ. And I think it's incredibly significant that Jesus restored Peter at a breakfast fire. If you remember that, and I realize I'm, I'm kind of deviating a little bit from the Good Friday thing, but it fascinates me that <clears throat> the element of fire is present when Peter denies the Lord and then uh, Jesus uses the time around a fire again, the fellowship of a fire to restore Peter on the beach after his resurrection. And um, so, it, you know, just as a sideline, I think this is one of the fascinations that men have with fire. For whatever reason, um, I, I even have this series of Bible studies where we talk about meet me at the fire, and it's how powerful it is when men gather around a fire, because that's where we congregate, and often men become more transparent and more real at a fire than they are in other places. Don't completely understand it, but it certainly is masculine context. So I digress there just a little bit, but the key is that uh, Peter denies Christ. And in one of the accounts, I think it's in Luke's account, uh, when the rooster crows and Peter, deni Peter denies Christ the third time, the rooster crows and Jesus looks at Peter. So Peter's across the courtyard from where the trial is happening. And so can you imagine, you've said boastfully, I'm not going to deny you, I'm going to be there. And, and Peter was trying to do that, but then he denies him the third time, the rooster crows. And right as he does that, Jesus turns and make eye contact with Peter. Man, how penetrating is that? And how... How do we need as men to, to take a seat sometimes and recognize how God is calling us out and how he is penetrating us with his eyes and pointing out to us when we have stumbled and fell? And I, I think sometimes we keep running so hard that we miss Jesus' intentional gaze into our own eyes. Guys, we've got to um, allow ourselves to get there. Um and so then we, we move to the morning time. And each of the Gospels, this is fascinating to me, each of the Gospels mentions the morning. Matthew 27, verse 1 says, When morning came, all the chief priests and the elders of the people took counsel against Jesus to put him to death. Uh, Mark 15 says, And as soon as it was morning, the chief priests held a consultation with the elders and scribes and the whole council, and they bound Jesus and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate. Luke 22, verse 66 and 67 says, When day came, the assembly of the elders of the people gathered together, both chief priests and scribes, and they led him away to their council, and they said, If you are the Christ, tell us. John 18, 28 says, Then they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. It was early morning. They themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled, but could eat the Passover. So each of the Gospels records that 
Good Friday in the morning is when all of this was happening with the trial coming to conclusion and uh, Pilate about to pronounce sentence on him so that he would be crucified. So that's why the, the morning of Good Friday is so important to me. And we need to remember this. We get together on Easter morning and celebrate the resurrected Christ, but we need to get together or get quiet on Good Friday morning and remember the sin that was um, that the cross requires uh, or that the sin that the cross covers. Uh, the cross was required because of our sin. I know I've said that wrong, but I figure you guys will be able to sort that out. But here's the deal. Celebration on Easter morning, but remembrance on Good Friday morning, recognition of what's about to happen, what we're remembering and why we're remembering it. And um, so that's that's why I think it's so cool to be um, mindful of Good Friday in the morning. As a matter of fact, uh, obviously folks can't gather. Over the years, we've had a number of churches that would do this Good Friday sunrise service with men and Men would come up and drive spikes into a cross, and then we'd have guys raise the cross. You can see photos of that on our website. If you just uh, search for Good Friday Sunrise, you can see how all of that works out. We try to help churches do that. Obviously, that can't help happen this year. But here's what I would encourage you to do. Think about if you have a fire pit, maybe go out on Friday morning and build a fire in the fire pit and, um, and just sit there and think about what was going on on the morning of Good Friday. Or get very quiet somewhere and think about what was transpiring on the morning of Good Friday. As a matter of fact, we're going to um, link you to a list of events that are timeline items for Good Friday. So here's, here's just some time markers that we've kind of put together. 6 a.m., Jesus stands trial before Pilate, and then is sent to Herod. At 7 a.m. approximately, Jesus returned to Pilate, and then is sentenced to death. At 8 a.m., Jesus is led to Calvary. Now, why do we use these, these time markers? Well, uh, let's see. It's It says, in the third hour, Jesus is crucified on the cross. Mark 15, 25 says it was the third hour when they crucified him. Well, the third hour would have been the third hour of daylight in, in that uh, culture. So it, you just kind of mark 6 a.m. as the beginning of the day. Then about 9 a.m. would have been the third hour of the day. And there are other time markers in there that talk about uh, the sixth hour, which would have been noon, and what was going on there. And then the third hour, or I'm sorry, the ninth hour would be about 3 p.m. And that's when um, that's when Jesus breathes his last and um, says, it is finished. And so the picture that we have here is um, we've got time markers in the Word that kind of help us understand what went on on that Thursday night, what's called Monday Thursday, and into Good Friday in the morning and then throughout the day. And so guys, if you hear this podcast in time and you can do that, download that timeline of events. I know it's not perfect. There are people who've kind of picked it apart, and I'm okay with that. But what we're trying to do is give you some markers and some ways to try and take a look at what would have been happening in the sequence of events for the crucifixion at particular times of the day so that you can be mindful of those, you can pray about them, and you can just remember. At, at, at various times, you need to stop and remember that it was your sin, it was my sin, it was, it was our sin that 
forced Jesus to the cross. Um, God is a just and righteous God, and he cannot allow us into the kingdom of heaven without a perfect sacrifice. He's told us that our, our perfection is required, but we can't be perfect. So God himself, a loving father, provided a perfect sacrifice in the son. It's a word called propitiation. I've been reading about this in Knowing God by J.I. Packer. Just fascinating that God is just, but also merciful. He's just in the fact that he is not going to um, break his own rules and let us in with, uh, with our sin, but he is merciful in the fact that he himself has provided the covering of for our sin through the blood of his own son. And so guys, here's, here's just a couple of things for you today to kind of finish out a thought on this. Number one, if you have not received the Lord's salvation, if you've not said, yes, I am trusting Christ and Christ alone for salvation, then you may need to, to pray about that and say, Lord, I receive the gift of salvation from you. I understand that you want to save me. I'm a sinner. I am broken by my sin. I understand uh, the the brokenness in my life and the, the things that have gone wrong because of my choices. And there's no way that I can be good enough in myself, by myself, to get into heaven and to spend eternity with you. And so if, if that's the case and you say, I'm trusting in Christ alone for salvation, then let someone know. Call us at Noble Warriors. Send me an email, mike.young at noblewarriors.org. Let us celebrate that with you. But but here's the next thing. If you are believing that, then guys, we need to hear the gospel over and over and over again. As I record this, we are in the midst of this coronavirus uh, response. So where lots of us are on some sort of lockdown or or um, shelter in place order, uh, essential businesses are shut down. And so things are different. And, and listen, this is a great time for men to say things, do things, think things that they should not. It's, it's a great time for Satan to be at work in our lives, calling us to sinful living. And so you may need to repent of that now and be reminded of the fact that Jesus died on the cross for those sins that you're committing right now. We, you know, just hearing the gospel once and, and recognizing that is not enough. We need to hear the gospel and be reminded of its ongoing work in our lives. So that's the second thing. And then the third thing is, how are you going to share this with your family or someone around you? You know, one of the things that we do when we do this uh, Good Friday sunrise service is men drive a spike into the cross to commemorate their sins, nailing Jesus to the cross. But they also take a spike home. They take a spike home to lay on their table and hopefully at a family meal, someone would say, well, what's that big nail for? And you can say to them, or we encourage guys to talk about their experience at the Good Friday Sunrise Service and how Christ has saved them from their sin. They're committed to uh, their, their sin to Him, and they're saved through that, and they had a tremendous experience at this Good Friday Service. Well, guys, you may need to find a way to bring something to the dinner table or some conversation with your family this weekend, uh, hopefully on Good Friday maybe, Share your salvation story with your family. You know, I think sometimes we're we're all caught up as believers and, and perhaps churchgoers with the idea that we need to share our 
we need to witness. We need to share our testimony with folks that we don't know. And, and so we go on these, uh, these evangelism trips and walks and commitments. But listen, does your family know your salvation story? Have you told your testimony to your own kids or your grandchildren? I, I'm convinced that we need to we need to share our salvation story with folks that are close to us. And this would be a great day and a great time to do that. A great time for you to be an evangelist with your own family, to share the love of Christ and your trust in him and the power of the gospel with your family. So uh, Good Friday at Sunrise, a fascinating study in God's Word of the idea that every gospel, each of the four gospels, mentions the morning of Good Friday. There was a lot going on. Jesus did not rest. Peter did not rest. It was, it was a tense and intense time. And so uh, be mindful of that and commemorate the gift that Christ gave us of his life submitting to God on that cross. He finished the work that the Lord had assigned for him to do, covering our sins with his very own blood by giving his life. And then uh, a, a good a good memory, remembering experience on Good Friday, a powerful experience of remembering the events of Good Friday, makes the celebration of Resurrection Day even more powerful. So, man, I just encourage you to first lead yourself well in this regard and then lead your family well to remember the the crucifixion on Good Friday and then to celebrate the resurrection on Easter. So that's it for today, men. God bless you. I hope this has been helpful to you. We look forward to keeping in touch and bringing you more on the Noble Man podcast. 